remember that we are praying every hour on the hour. So once you turn over and your eyes are open, pray, because we need to bathe this program, this church, this community in prayer. Our families, our children, we need to be intercessors. And when you're an intercessor, what happens when you pray for others, you actually get a blessing as well. God blesses you as well. Remember that on Wednesday, Wednesday evening will be our anointing service. We have agreed, the leadership team, that we will do the anointing service just after the preaching. Just after the preaching. So those who would like to be anointed, this is going to be a physical service right here. Uh, physically, we will be anointing you and praying for you. And if you would like that to happen, we are asking that you uh, register your name with one of the elders or the leadership team or a pastor so that we can have an idea of how many persons will be staying for the anointing service. But even if you somehow manage not to register your name and you still would like to be anointed on that evening, we will accommodate you in preparation for this anointing service. Um, I will be, and, and a number of the leadership team will be fasting and praying on Wednesday so that we can be ready for God to do something miraculous. Remember he said that some of these things uh, cannot be done except through fasting and, and prayer. And so uh, as my custom is, every Wednesday I try to fast and pray for my family and for the work of evangelism in the British Union and the Trans-European Division. And I'm telling you, I have seen how God has worked and moved miraculously in some of the programs that we have done there. And so on Wednesday, I'll be fasting and praying for you and that God will do something very, very special. All right? So that's it for tonight. Can we stand as we read the Word of God? Our scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Why? Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and a sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. On this Sunday night of this fall revival, our subject is the four P's of kingdom living. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercies. God, when we consider our lives, we should have been dead by now. But your hand of love and mercies have been extended to us, and our lives are now spared, and we are here tonight in this sanctuary and online in the sanctuary of our homes. And we pray, Father, that the word that goes forth tonight will be a blessing to us. It will show us again another dimension of our Christianity, another dimension of our relationship with Jesus, the relationship that we ought to have. And again, I pray, God, as I've prayed before, that if there is anything within me that will hinder the proclamation of your word, pray that you will take it away so that your people will be able to see only Jesus and hear only the voice of Jesus Christ speaking to their hearts, and I myself will only hear your voice of inspiration so that both preacher and congregation can have a tremendous experience with you 
This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The four Ps of kingdom living. Let me see the hands of all those who love the Olympics. Now, don't get too self-righteous on me here tonight. All right, yeah, you, like, you love the Olympics, I'm sure. Uh, we had the experience there in the United Kingdom in 2012 um, when the world focused on England. I was not rich enough to get a ticket to any of the games. Uh, Dr. Liverpool, you know, we don't make a lot of money, so I could not get there. And none of the brethren were generous enough to say, Pastor, this is an appreciation. Go to one of the games. <laughs> well, so I could not go. But the one that was very intriguing to me was the one in, 20, in 2008 in the Bird's Nest Stadium in Beijing, China. Why was this one very fascinating to me? It was so because I love the marquee race of the Olympics. And the marquee race is the 100 meters dash, sprint, whatever you want to call it. That race, leading up to that race, nobody knew who would win. There would be no prediction. There could be no predictions because everyone seemed to be winning one race or the other, and there was no clear favorite for that race in Beijing, China, in the bird's nest stadium. And so I was very intrigued uh, about who will actually uh, win this race. And, and so the time came after all the other races and, and preliminaries and, and, and rounds of, of sprinting, uh, the time came for the race. And the, the, the persons that were in that race the eight fastest men in the world at that time, because once you got to the final, you were considered to be one of the fastest men in the world. So the eight fastest men in the world at that time was Usain Bolt from Jamaica, Richard Thompson from Trinidad and Tobago. Well, I did ask if there was any uh, Jamaicans here, and I got some responses, and I listened, and I heard a Trini accent um, the other day. Uh, so I know there are some Trinidadians somewhere there. And then there was Walter Dix from the USA. Um, and then there was a Safa Powell from Jamaica, another Jamaican. Um, and then there was Charandi Martina from the Netherlands, Antilles. Michael Freiter from Jamaica, not a Jamaican, it must be the Yam. And then there was Mark Burns from Trinidad and Tobago. And then Darvis Patton from the USA, the eight fastest men in the world at that time. And so it came to the race. They were now assembled on the track. People did not move in the stadiums. You could not blink because if you blink, the race would be over. Those who were at home and housewives who were at home and people who were at home cooking turned off the stove because this was it. This was the marquee race of the event. If people wanted to go to the toilet or to the washroom, they kept inside whatever was there because they dare not move because this was the marquee race. And if you blink in a twinkling of an eye, in a moment, it is gone. And you will have to see replays, but you will not catch the live action. People were glued to their television screens, whether it was 47 inches or 55 inches or 2 inches. It did not matter. They were just glued to their television screens because this was the marquee race. This was it. You could not miss this. Get to your marks. And they did all the fancy things, the nervous things that they do to calm themselves. Some made faces. Some made the sign of the cross. Some jumped. Whatever they had to do. But they were now settled in the blocks. And the starter said, set. And then boom! The gun, and they were off. Well, 
halfway through the race, Usain Bolt began to celebrate. The pundits said that if he had not celebrated during the race, that he would have gotten the record lower than he got it. Uh, you know, he, he, he could have blown, he could have made a record that nobody would ever be able to beat. But at the end, Usain Bolt ran 9.69 seconds. And there came the sign, the Bolt sign. A new world record, one that will last for a long time. Long, long time. And as I looked at that race, and as I thought about it, and as I studied it, I, I wondered, what is it that we can learn from these athletes that can actually transfer or translate into some spiritual lessons that can teach us how to be Christians who are people who are prepared for the kingdom, people who are living for the kingdom, people who are preparing not for a corruptible crown, somebody help me here, but for a crown of glory that God has gone to prepare for us, that Jesus Christ is working on for us, that Jesus is designing uh, for us. How can we live a life that is pleasing to God? And so the first thing that I recognize with these athletes, and here comes the first P, the first thing that I recognize with these athletes is that they have something what is called persistence. Persistence. You see, persistence says to me that even though I may try and I may fail, I keep going. <laughs> Somebody ought to hear me here. Persistence says to me that even if the weather is cold and I'm aiming for a certain goal, I've got to keep going at it. Persistence says to me that I may fall a thousand times, but I've got to get up and keep going. Somebody say mad. Persistence says that, yes, this, that, that, that even if uh, I, I might fail, as a matter of fact, somebody has said that, that, that the, 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 the recipe for success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Somebody ought to hear me here today. You go from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm, and then you will recognize that you have succeed. Uh, talking about persistence, I, when I got to, to England, uh, I had to learn to drive again. You know, you, you had to get a license and you had to get all of this stuff. And so this old uh, brethren uh, was driving me around and, you know, was doing this stuff. And, 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 and one day she, I was hustling with a license and he said, oh, Pastor, don't worry, you'll be all right. Guess how many times I took to pass my driver's license? And, uh, and I, said to her, I, I said to her, oh, you, know, you drive well. I said, probably you failed twice. Um, she said, no, 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 keep going. I said, look, I'm going to be as ridiculous as I can, and I will say that you failed seven times, because seven is an Adventist number. She said, no, pastor, I didn't fail seven times. Keep going. I said, no, it can't be. I said, okay, I'm going to go more ridiculous, nine times. She said, no. Well, by then I was looking around to see, uh, you know, I'm trying to see some invisible brakes if they were there, thinking, well, how is she driving? I mean, I, I began to certainly scrutinize her driving, because uh, I'm thinking somebody was failed all this time. Something must be wrong here. But she said, no, keep going. I said, okay, I'm going to go 10. She said, no, keep going. I said, 11. I said, 12. She said, no. And when she got to 12, she said, Pastor, let me help you out. I failed my driving test 12 times and passed it on the 13th time. Wow. No, they said 13 is an unlucky number. She said, I, I passed it the 13th time. And I said, wherever I go in this world, my sister, I will tell your story of persistence because that's real persistence. You could have given up at the second time. You could have given up at the fifth time. You could have given up at the 10th time. But you stayed with it. Sorry, I didn't want to. You stayed with it. Persistence. Here is what Michael Jordan won of the greatest, if not the greatest basketball player of all times, said. 
He says that you must never underestimate the power of persistence. He says, I, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Let me tell you something tonight, my friends. You, in order for you to make it in God's eternal kingdom, you have got to be persistent. These athletes, when the rain is falling, they are out there. I spoke to my wife this morning, and there's another pastor's wife who they, they, she will come for them to go and walk every Sunday morning, and uh, it's raining cats and dogs in, in, in England, and my wife said, man, I was just hoping that she would not show up so that I can stay in bed. And she said, I kept looking at the phone thinking I'll get a message to say that she is not coming. Oh, but then she heard the message, ping, I'm at the door. And she said she had to get up, put on her clothes, and they were walking in the rain for an hour and a half to get exercise. Because according to this pastor's wife, if you're exercising every Sunday morning, whether it snowed or rain or whatever happens, you've got to be out there exercising. I wish that I can get some persistent Christians at Ypsilanti Church. Some persistent Christians who will say that I will never give up. Some persistent Christians who will say that I will bend my knees. I will bow my heads. I'm, 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 I'm going I'm to weep between the porch and the altar. I'm going to hold on to God's unchanging hand. I'm going to be like the woman with an issue of blood that even though there is a crowd and even though I am weak, even though I'm financially spent, even though I have nothing left, I'm going to go through that crowd and touch the hem of his garment so that I can be healed got to be some persistent Christians here today. And if you're not a Christian as yet, if you're not yet baptized, man, you better be persistent because God's kingdom will be only about those who are persistent. Those who look beyond who they are to who God is. Because God looks beyond our faults and he sees our needs. And so if you have fallen in sin, if you have fallen down a hundred times, get up! Because God will still save you. Once you have life, God will take care of you. So the first P of kingdom living is persistence. You've got to be persistent in what you do. Well, if the living for God is about persistence, then the key to persistence is passion. The second P of kingdom living. The key to persistence is passion. And the passion that I'm talking about here tonight is not the passion that you see at soccer matches. And I have to make the distinction here because I'm in America. Uh, uh, we say football in England because they kick the ball with their feet. You say football here and they run with a ball in their hands. Now, I, 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 I am not here to dispute who is right or who is wrong. But I'm going to say soccer so you can understand that we kick it with the feet. And when, when we have football ma or soccer matches <laughs> in England, oh, and, and, and one team is losing, the fans will begin to cry. And little, listen, the fans are trained from the time they were born. So they are Liverpool fans, and they are Arsenal fans, and they are Manchester United fans, and Manchester City fans, and Leeds fans. And they are fans for the least of the teams. Listen, some of these people know very well that that team will never win anything, but they are a fan. They know that that team, no matter how much that team, that team will always struggle. They will never win. You could bring Diego Maradona back and put him there. You could bring Messi there. You could bring Mbappe there. And I'm telling you, that team will never win anything. Oh, you have some here as well. They will never win anything. But you know what? They're fans. And they're passionate about their team. Now, I'm not talking about that passion because that passion is foolish. 
That passion is earthly. That, that passion is carnal. Yes. That passion is based upon uh, what, what, what people want to happen and, 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 and they do all kinds of stuff to... No, I'm not talking about that passion. I'm talking about a passion that comes from deep within that is generated and orchestrated by Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm talking about. A passion that comes from deep within the heart that saturates the mind with the power and persistence of God. That's what I'm talking about, that passion. So the key to persistence is passion. Because to succeed, you have to believe in something with such a passion that it becomes a reality. You have got to believe that Jesus Christ died. Isn't that so? And that he rose again. Isn't that so? You've got to believe that he is making mansions above for you and for me. Isn't that so? You've got to believe that a power of the Holy Spirit can transform a life and break an addiction. Whether that addiction is alcohol or that addiction is drugs or that addiction is pornography or whatever or power. Whatever that addiction is, you have to believe that God can break that and set the sinner free. That's what I'm talking about, a passion. A passionate belief that God is real. In spite of the fact that some say he is not real, that he is dead, that he is not alive, that he is no more. You have to believe that God is real. Because he woke me up this morning. Somebody say that. He woke you up this morning and he set you on your way. You've got to believe. That God is still passionate about you and your business. That he's still passionate about your financial situation to give you that breakthrough. You've got to believe that your children who you have given to him and they have somehow wandered away from God can come back home. That's the passion I'm talking about here. Oh, sometimes we have some passionless Christians who are not passionate about what they believe and the way they live. They don't live that passion. And the people who are looking for an example, looking to them for something, don't see anything because there's no passion. I see passion in football. I see passion in cricket. I see passion in hockey. I see passion in basketball. But I don't see passion in Christianity in some Christians. Because we live as if God... Is not real. How can we live as if he's not real and we want to tell the world about a real God? Well, let me tell you something tonight. Those of you looking online, and I welcome you, that God is real. Passion. You've got to get passion for something. Here's what Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors said. But I don't know how many of you know that he claims to be a Seventh-day Adventist. This is what he said. He says that, that being a Christian athlete means competing for Christ. In a way which you always give your all for him. And win or lose, you thank him for the ability and the opportunity to play. It means giving all the glory to God, no matter the outcome, because you trust in his plan for your life. Now, I am not here to debate whether a young man should be playing basketball or not. I am not here to deal with the ins and outs, but what I do see is a young man who says that he is committed to Christ. And wherever he goes and whatever he says, he represents Christ, he says. He is a witness to Christ. So I'll, I'll leave that in God's hands, and I'll leave that for you to discuss. But, 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 but what I want to make here is that there needs to be a reality check, a realization that God is still in the saving business for all of us. That God is still in this business of making us passionate Christians for him. That God is still in this business of establishing his kingdom in our lives. And that kingdom means that we must be passionate about him. Hear the scripture reading that we had. See what he says. See what the Bible says. The Bible says, looking, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the all and fisher of our faith, who for the joy, 
that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. If that does not talk about passion, then what does? God was passionate to go to the cross for us. In spite of the shame, some of us, when we are faced with, comp with choices, we compromise because we don't want to be ashamed. We compromise because we don't want to be ashamed of what people will say. As the Trinidadians will say, oh, how are we going to look? We wouldn't want to, to, to people to know this and to know that and to see this. Not God, in spite of the shame. The most gruesome and cruel death that anyone could ever go through, being crucified on a cross, what could be more shameful than that? And yet, Christ went there unashamed for you and for me. Talking about passion. He was there. Oh, the song says that he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and to set him free. But he died alone for you and for me. That's passion, my dear sister, sister Elder Young. That's passion for you right there. And so the first P of kingdom living is persistence. And if persistence is the first P, then the key to persistence is purpose, is, is passion. And then the key to passion is purpose. The second, the third, the third P. So if persistence is what a Christian is supposed to do and to live, then the key to persistence is passion. And then the key to passion is purpose. Now watch this. The purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. It might sound simple. But if you examine it, you will discover that really and truly, to have a purpose in life, you have got to be passionate about something. So here's the question. What is your purpose in life? Do you know what your purpose is? Do you know why you came into this world? Do you know why God spared your life last week when you should have been killed in that road accident? Do you know why people are praying for you? Children, what's your purpose in life? Do you know why your parents are making the sacrifice for you? Why they're praying for you? Why they are loving you? What is your purpose in life? Husband, what is your purpose in life? Do you know why your wife is praying for you? Why she's so supportive? Why she's there through thick and thin and all the foolishness that you do? What is your purpose in life? Wife, do you know why your husband prays for you? Why he works long hours to provide? Family, do you know what your purpose is? Church, do you know what your purpose is? Is it just to come sit here, have a nice time, beautiful place, nice equipment, and everything else? Is that it? Is that your purpose? Is that why Jesus died? I'm asking these questions, rhetorical questions, because I don't want you to put your hand up in the air and answer me. I want you to go down and kneel down by your bedside tonight. Get into your closet and you ask God to reveal to you. Because David, one day in, in, in the book of Samuel, he went in to God in his closet and he said, God, who am I? Who am I that you are mindful of me? Who am I, God? He wanted a perfect a, a revelation from God about who he really is, or who he was. I want you to have a revelation from God tonight as to your purpose. I want you to ask God that question with tears in your eyes. God, who am I? I want you to look in the mirror 
and ask God the question because only God can reveal your purpose. Nobody could tell you your purpose. God has to reveal your purpose to you. It's a personal thing with you and God. Go and ask God, God, who am I? I've been messing up all this. God, am I living this purpose that you have me? I've just been warming these benches, just sitting down here, coming, having a good time, eat, burp, and leave. Who am I? Let me tell you something. The time has come in this church, in this Sunday Adventist church, and in our lives, where we have got to make our religion a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Our religion is not about doctrines. Our religion is not about a church organization. Our religion is not about what we're doing. Our religion has to be about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We have made our religion something about doctrines. We have made our religion something about a repetition of the Seventh-day Adventist church. We have done all of that, and because of that, we find that we are losing a grip on our salvation. People are leaving. They, they are backsliding. They are going. Our religion needs to come back to the purpose. That relationship with Jesus, go to your closet, church. I beg you tonight and ask God, who am I? I have had to do it. If I didn't do it, I would not have been around. You have got to find your purpose with God. Brother Enos. You've got to find that purpose with God. And so, if you belong to God's kingdom, you've got to have persistence. And the key to persistence is your passion. And the key to your passion is your purpose. Watch the chain. And the key to your purpose is your perspective. The last P, your perspective. You know, I read a book recently uh, called, talking about perspective. Well, let me give you a definition of perspective. It's a change, changing an outlook, a view, a viewpoint, point of view, standpoint, position, stand, stance, angle, slant, attitude, frame of mind, frame of reference, approach, way of looking at things, thinking, vantage point, interpretation. You can get all of that in some dictionary someplace. But I read a book recently called The Entangled Life. It's a more of a science book by Marlon Seldrake. And it's a book about fungi. And fungi, most of, of them, they, they live their lives as branches, fusing networks of tubular cells known as mycelium. And I'm getting into science here. Mycelium is how the fungi feed. Animals tend to find food in the world and put it in their bodies. Fungi put their bodies in the food. I'm getting somewhere here. So to do so, they must ceaselessly remodel themselves, weaving their bodies into relationship with their surroundings. Remodel. Remember that word. Somebody say it. Remodel. Ceaselessly remodeling themselves, weaving their bodies into relation with their surroundings. This entanglement with themselves, with their physical surroundings, and with other organisms is their staple mode of existence. Somebody say entanglement. So what lessons can be learned from fungi? 
You see, fungi don't keep themselves to themselves. Somebody ought to hear me here today. <laughs> you see, mycelium is the living seam by which much of life is stitched into relation. Fungi string their way through the soil, through the sulfurous sediments of ocean beds, through coral reefs, inside plant leaves, roots, and shoots. Bacteria use mycelial networks as highways to navigate the bustling wilderness of the soil. Nutrients circulate through ecosystems, through fungal networks. Tag on strands of, of mycelium and you'll find it hitched to something else. Fungi embody the most basic principle of ecology, that of the relationship between organisms. Fungi form lateral connections between organisms and in doing so remind us that all life forms, human included, are bound up within seething networks of relationships, some visible and some less so. What am I saying? With all of this science that I've just given to you. Is that if you think that you can be isolating yourself from others. Because you alone want to get to the kingdom. Then you need to think again. Your perspective is blurred. And people who are going to the kingdom. Have a perspective that says that everybody is important. No, oh, no, you didn't get me. You didn't get what I'm talking about. You didn't get what I'm talking about here. That everybody is important. Every person is important. If we recognize this, our attitudes to each other will change. If we recognize this, our attitude to the community will change. If we recognize this, our attitude to that young lady who gets pregnant not by herself, Because always is the young lady, right? If we recognize this, those two young people were caught up and there's a baby involved, our attitude will be different. The young lady who walks through the door with her short skirt because that's all she has to wear and comes and sits down there, our attitude to her will be different. One day, my, my daughter decided to come to church with me, Pastor, because they go differently. You know, once they get to a certain age, they go to a different church. You know, they want to be. So she decided, we're all going to go to church. I was preaching that day. I was running a big program, and she all will go there. Now, we'll go. And she wore one of those, you know, those big trousers, palazzo kind of, you know, Thing. Let me tell you something. You know, yes. we're just not nice. Amen. You know, before the day was out, yes. somebody, somebody's <laughs> found their way around everything that was happening at that big program that day That's to remind my daughter. That she was the pastor's daughter. And she should not be wearing that. You know, I'll tell you something. Heaven will have a whole lot of surprises. Because we, lots of us don't understand perspective. When God looks at you, what does he see? Have you ever asked yourself that question? When God looks at you, what does he see? When God looks at you, does he see your past? Does he see your present? Does he see your future? When God looks at you, does he see that secret relationship that you're having? And coming to church and playing all holy and righteous, correcting everybody, but sleeping around. When God looks at you, does he see that weakness in you? When God looks at you, what does he see? When he looks at me, what does he see? And if we can 
come face to face and to grips with that, our perspective on others and on life will be different. Perspective. What is yours? You know, I, I picked up a, a piece here that I would like to read to you on perspective. And listen carefully as I seek to finish up this tonight. We have taller buildings, but shorter tempers. Perspective. We have wider freeways, but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but have less. We buy more, but enjoy it less. Perspective. We have bigger houses, but smaller families. Perspective. We have more conveniences, but less time. The washing machine, for example, was, was made so that we can have a bit more time. We don't have to go down by the river and scrub the clothes or wash in tubs. We put it in the machine and we got to read a book and relax. But what do we do? We fill that time with something else. So we have more conveniences but less time. We have more degrees but less common sense. Some of the most ignorant people are those who are educated. Some simple things you try to explain to them and they just could not see. We have more degrees, but less common sense. We have more knowledge, but less judgment. More experts, but more problems. More medicine, but less wellness. We spend too recklessly, laugh too little. Sometimes you have to beg somebody to laugh. We drive too fast, get too angry too quickly. Today, you tell somebody, people are just angry. It's just at the tip of their tongue, ready to, say, to, to tell you off. We stay up too late, get up too tired. Read too seldom, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values, perspective. We talk too much, love too seldom, and lie too often, perspective. We have learned how to make a living, but not a life. We have added years to life, but not life to years, perspective. We have been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet the new neighbor, perspective. We have conquered outer space, but not inner space. We have done larger things, but not better things. We have cleaned up the air, but polluted the soul. We have split the atom, but not our prejudice. Why is racism still alive today? We have write, we, 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 we write more, but hear less. Plan more, but accomplish less. When you see the plans at some churches, they have all these plans. What have they accomplished? Absolutely nothing. We have learned to rush, but not to wait. We have higher incomes, but lower morals. More food, but less appeasement. More acquaintances, but fewer friends on Facebook. I'm very popular. I have almost 5,000 friends. You think they care anything about me? All they want to do is what I post. That's what they care about. We, we, we have more effort, but less success. We build more computers to hold more information to produce more copies than ever, but have less communication. Oh, in the offices that I, I work, people would prefer to send you an email than to just come down the stairs and talk to you in the office. We've become long on quantity, but short on quality. Somebody ought to hear me here. I'm talking of perspective. These are the days or the times of fast food and slow digestion. Tall men and short characters, steep profits and shallow relationships. These are the times of world peace but domestic warfare. More leisure and less fun. More kinds of food but less nutrition. These are the days of two incomes but more divorce. Of fancier homes but broken homes. These are the days of, 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 of throwaway morality. One night stands. Uh, uh, pills that do everything from cheer to quiet to kill. This is the time. It is a time when there is much in the show window and nothing in the stock room. I'm talking perspective. Yes, 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 yes. What is your perspective on life, on God, on your relationship with Jesus Christ? 
What is your perspective on your family, on church, on community? What perspective do you think God has of you and your relationship? Are you persistent? Are you passionate? Are you purposeful? Do you have the right perspective? Because if you have the right perspective, you'll be persistent. And if you're persistent, you will be passionate. And if you're passionate, you'll have a purpose. And if you have a purpose, you'll have a perspective. And if you have a perspective, you'll be persistent. And if you're persistent, you'll be passionate. And if you're passionate, you'll be purposeful. And if you're purposeful, you'll have a perspective. And if you have a perspective, you'll be... As I close tonight, the footballer Neymar from Brazil, soccer player Neymar, forget what I am. Everybody thought that Brazil had won the Olympics gold medal in football, in soccer, before. But it was not so. I think it was in the, was it 2015 when, when they had the Olympics there? They got to the finals, and when they got to the finals, it came down to penalties, and Neymar had either the privilege, the pleasure, or the pain of taking the final penalty. If he scores, Brazil will win. His name will go down in folklore. Songs will be made about him because it would be for the first time that Brazil would win the Olympics gold medal in soccer. He stepped up. Slotted the ball. Now I'm using soccer language because I still play today to keep fit. Slotted the ball into the side of the net and pandemonium broke loose. Brazil went wild because they had now won the Olympics gold for the first time. And while everybody was running helter-skelter and celebrating, and while millions of Brazilians and millions of Brazilian friends around the world were celebrating with Neymar, Neymar got his perspective right. He whipped out a bandana and tied it around his head. And it said on it, 100% Jesus. At that moment in the world, billions of people watching knew the name Jesus. They saw the name Jesus. Now, I don't, whatever your theology is or whatever you think about that and so on, I'm not, that's not a point here tonight. The point I'm making is that this young man had the presence of mind to give Jesus the glory for the victory. Whether you agree with soccer or not, whether you want to play, I, I'm not here to say that. All I'm here to say is, this young man gave the glory for the win to Jesus. And everybody around the world saw it 100% Jesus. And if you think it was a bluff, the next year when he won the Champions League with Barcelona, he whipped out that same bandana. Again, millions around the world looking, and he said, 100% Jesus. Are you 100% Jesus? Are you living for him 100%? As we close here tonight, what is your perspective on Jesus?
Do you see him as a genie in a bottle that's in your coat pocket and when you need something, you pull him out and rub him and say, Jesus, he gives you and you put him back in your pocket until next time, Jesus. How do you treat Jesus? How do you witness for Jesus? When last have you done something for Jesus? And what about you, young man, young lady? You've never accepted Jesus. You've been around church people, been around church. You've been in Pathfinder Club. You've been all over the place, but you've never made that commitment. What about you tonight? Would you want to make a commitment online, in church? Would you want to make a commitment to Jesus? If you'd like to make that commitment to Jesus, contact one of the team. There's a pastor, the elders, tell your parents, whatever. Contact them. You can get some more Bible studies if you need it. And some of you don't need any more Bible studies. What you need to do is to get baptized. Get baptized and continue to study. Because when you get baptized, you still continue to study anyhow. But he that believeth, Mark 16, 16, and is baptized, shall be saved. Get in contact with somebody tonight. And for those of us who are already walking this way, we need to tighten up on our perspective. We need to tighten up on our persistence. We need to tighten up on our passion. And we need to know our purpose. May God bless you. Amen. Can we stand for prayer? Lord, you have spoken to your people and to your preacher tonight. God, we have all fallen short of the ideals that you have for us. As kingdom people, God, we need to do better. We cannot do it by ourselves. Only you can help us. So we place ourselves in those closets that you have given us. And we ask the question, who am I, Lord? And I pray, God, that you will work with us so that we can be better Christians for you, kingdom Christians. Because not so long ago, you went to the cross, despising the shame. And now you're set down on the right hand of God. You're making intercession for us. Please, God, whatever you do, save us in your eternal kingdom. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.